Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Amen. Justin, grab your seats this evening, this morning. Uh, hey, welcome. Fall is here. The leaves are changing colors, the warm and cozies. I wish the temperature was a little warmer in here, but uh, it'll keep us all awake as we dive into scripture. We're going to continue to, the, to study uh, chapter four of Philippians today. We're going to see how far we get into it. We're hoping to cha- cover um, verse four through nine. Uh, the real challenge is this verse has got a little bit of a history. Um, and if you know somebody or have uh, interacted with mental illness yourself or anxiety, this has been uh, used as a, a place where people have have felt a lot of shame and a lot of uh, challenge against some of things that are, are outside of the spiritual realm. And so um, just looking at this, this verse today, I want to just call us to attention um, pastorally that there's some, there's some intricacy to anxiety. There's some care that needs to be offered when we, when we look at this passage. Um, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. If you were a child in the mid-2000s in Israel, you would have been well aware that there were enemies just across that big wall. You could have been gathered in a park playing a game of football, or you could be eating shawarma, or you could be going out for a picnic, or swinging at a playground. And at any moment, a siren could sound. Shots of tension would run through your body from the age of four years old to 85 years old or whatever. You'd have 15 seconds to run from where you were at to find a bomb shelter. So often was the alarms that would be sounded by um, Scud missiles being launched into your neighborhood that it became the background of many people's childhood. That so frequent would you need to find a bomb shelter that most homes had bomb shelters, most schools had bomb shelters, and even some children's parks, bomb shelters. (laughs) This is a a reality that we don't know, that's not our norm, but we're getting a taste of it as we watch from a distance as the tensions in the Middle East continue to escalate. And many of us, it causes us to go like, man, how how secure is my life? What things do I have my hand around and control under? 
And even the COVID uh, pandemic, it really pulled back a lot of the veil that we thought we had control over certain circumstances that we just don't. There are things that can happen on the other side of the world, and yes, it can disturb the flow of being able to get toilet paper. That is reality. We think we're so strong until we need toilet paper, and then we're lining up at Costco to get toilet paper. Life gives us these moments where we're reminded that, you know what, we're not really in that much control. And really, even God aside, nature in and of itself is a terrifying thing when you think about who you are, a speck in the face of tornado, hurricane, hail the size of whatever, you know what I mean? And to think that we are individuals in a world if we were to stop and realize how many health hazards there are at risk around us, we would have a really hard time eating at McDonald's or any other place. You can overanalyze things to the hilt. And all I'm just trying to acknowledge is the fact that the ability we have to create security and control in our life, it often gives us a false sense that we are actually more in control, more powerful and untouchable than we really are. That is to say that, that our humanness is actually something we need to learn to navigate, not ignore. That weakness needs to be something that we learn to steward rather than hide. That we, in, 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 in two ways we can live in a world, especially in a post-Christian world, where many of us have lost that sense that, that we have the dominant voice in culture, that, that we get to um, move in and out of the lost world and into the church world with very little difference. Because there was a day that many of us lived where Christianity was the backdrop like sirens and the enemies over the gate, if you're Israeli, church bells when you came out of your home on a Sunday morning was part of your background. You know, going to church, the church ladies, you know, having the Ten Commandments on the wall at school. If you're young, you're like, that's crazy. But if you're like many of us, we're like, no, like Jesus and his kingdom really did shape a lot of our world. But we're seeing a loss of power, a loss of influence, a loss of position in this world. And I think this is one of the primary reasons that uh, the Lord is leading us into the study of Philippians. Because it is a study of a church who are living in a world where they weren't the dominant voice. They, they had to enter into a, 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 a world, a business realm, where they were not the most influential in the room. And so very seldom did they have spaces where they could make things just how they want it. We have no clue how fine-tuned we can make our lives. It, the equivalent of many people's lives in, in the Western world is that of a king in past generations where we can have much of what we want around us. We can taste many things that we would like to taste. We can control what music we listen to. We can interact with the, the entertainment that we would want to have. We, we live very, very comfortable lives. And as our worlds get smaller, we go more and more digital, where we can get more and more fine-tuned on what we like or don't like. We can wall out what we don't want, and we can create what we do like. We run the risk of becoming 
really, really fragile humans. Really fragile Christians. Because if everywhere we go, we have things the way we want them. That pain is something that we can medicate away, escape, or avoid. Then we're going to become very uncomfortable when the pain of reality becomes the norm. And I believe that this is part of the work that we need to do in the Northwest as believers is we need to become a people of resilience. And many of you are people of resilience. You, you have had circumstances knock down the walls of your life and you've been like, man, I am vulnerable. I am weak. I need God. I need someone in my life who is, who is steadfast when my whole world is shaking. I need something that is, that is more reliable than, than the, the market right now, interest rates, or the presidential politics uh, landscape, or the world peace, or even like our ability to have a long-term sustainability on this planet. You need something more, and you're finding that Jesus becomes a source of hope. And throughout this whole study, we've been trying to drive our mind away from the circumstances of this world that will change, that are temporary, that for many of us, we have enjoyed moments of richness, and God doesn't want us to detach from that, except to say that in that is not our eternal joy. There is something more steadfast, untouchable, and his name is Jesus, and his kingdom that is coming, and we're invited to orient ourselves around that. We're told, do not be anxious about anything. You have to realize that these same words are spoken to the the Palestinian Christians in Bethlehem who are uncertain about their future. Don't be anxious about anything. There are Christians within Gaza. There are Christians within Israel. There are people in the middle of this conflict, and the same word applies to them as to us. Wait, rockets are flying over your head, but, but do not be anxious about anything. Or for, or for you, like your, your future ability to earn has, off, has somehow come under threat. Don't be anxious about anything. Or your child is, is beginning to ask questions about the faith, or they're, or they're moving away from Jesus, and they're becoming more and more disillusioned, and, and the word is the same, be anxious for nothing. What? <laughs> is this the most impractical verse in the Bible, or is there actually something that, that we, we can glean from this? What I don't think this is, is it's a magic pill to fix anxiety. Some of you are, have been uh, actually diagnosed with, with a very real case of anxiety, whether that be general or focused or phobia, and it's up to like 19% of Americans have been diagnosed with this. Um, sadly, only about 36% of the people who have been diagnosed with mental illness actually get the care they require. Um, suicide is, is the highest, it's the second highest killer of children between 10 years old and 14 years old second only to accidental death. I heard that um, a sociologist, um, I think his last name is Reeve, said that average children today are exhibiting the same anxious um, uh, symptoms as your average 
psychological patient in the 50s. There's a shift that's taking place. Anxiety is a very real thing. This tension in the world among us. What this is talking about is not necessarily the diagnosis of anxiety. It is not a sin to be anxious. Paul himself, if you were to look back to uh, chapter 1, verse 29, I believe it is. Uh, No, uh, it's when he's sending back Epaphroditus, excuse me. And he says, I want to send him to you, not only for your good, but Paul says, so that I'll be less anxious. So, so anxiety is not something to like, it's not a moral thing. What he's talking about here is anxiety as an unfruitful fixation that actually doesn't do any good. That's what we're to avoid. And so some of you, you, you have a, an, a proclivity or a, a propensity to, to worry, to, to be anxious, to be nervous. And so we need to learn how to navigate that tension within us. What do we do with that energy? Because energy doesn't just dissipate. It must be directed. And so throughout this text, I think Paul is going to try and help us to go, what, what is the, 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 the best way for us to navigate when we aren't in control? The, the reaction is similar if, um, to, to when there's uh, a threat. You know, some people, when you feel anxious or something is off, um, you, you feel like you have to do something to fix it, to make the pain stop. And for, for you, if I, I struggle with anxiety in the past, and, and it's uh, still a part of my life, but it's something where I'm like, okay, I, I have tendency towards anxiety. And so learning how to cope with that and walk that out is going to be really helpful for us because there's a greater purpose that we're supposed to serve in the midst of the storm. Paul describes that we're supposed to let our reasonableness, look at this verse, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. This is a, a, a evangelical image that we are to demonstrate um, both the gentleness, that word can be translated, or, or the, the appropriate response to a moment. So there's like a level-headedness that we're supposed to demonstrate to the world that is shaking and some of you, that's, for me, that was the only thing that made me stay on the rails as a student uh, in high school who wanted nothing more than to pursue the world. The one thing that made me convinced that Jesus was real was that my parents refused to get a divorce. And I was like, unless God's real, like, that, their resilience in that chaos, it made me go like, okay, there's got to be something to this. And for some of us, um, that, that we, we are the walking display of steadfastness that causes them to go, what is the reason for the hope that is in you? What on earth is keeping you on the rails? Why do you continue to open the Word when the world doesn't make sense? Why do you press into community even when it's hurt you in the past? Why do you give even though you're not certain about what you're going to be able to do for your future? There is a otherworldliness that the presence of God in our life actually gifts to us and we are a gift to the world. Let the influence, the impact of what is true of you be able to be seen by the world. 
All right, so Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. First point um, that we need to land on is this idea that there is a resilient joy that Paul has. He demonstrates in his own life, and he calls us to. If you were to look through the book um, of Philippians, Paul, he faces imprisonment. He faces people mocking him. He faces the likelihood of his death. And through it all, time after time, he's like, and yet I rejoice, and yet I rejoice, and yet I rejoice. I don't know if I'm going to live or die, but I rejoice. Uh, People are making fun of me, but I rejoice. The gospel is going out. There there should be this like tenor of um, a conundrum of joy in our life. And joy doesn't always show up like hey, life is good. It can, but oftentimes it's a buoyancy. It's a supernatural buoyancy that that when life, the bottom falls out, you don't fall to the deepest depths. You find that because you are in Christ, you have a buoyancy to your life. You're, You're not sinking as low to become hopeless. We are not a people who are without hope, right? But we are a people who have hope in Christ. And so what, what we need to just think through in our mind is why would we be rejoicing in the midst of trial? Your marriage comes to an end. Your job is lost. You're not certain what your future holds. Your friends have moved away. Whatever it may be, what is worth rejoicing about in the midst of those moments? Because we don't often feel it. Well, if you look at the text, Paul says rejoice in circumstances, right? No. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord who is steadfast, immovable. There are two things that we're going to focus on today. Rejoicing in Jesus, His works, and His person. The first is His works, and Paul references this in the previous verse. When he's talking to uh, the church in Philippi, he's saying, good companion, uh, there are two people in the church and they're fighting. Please work with them. There is tension in the church. But then he goes on, hey, but remember, you are all, your name is written in all the book of life. And so there is a bottom to the, the, the darkness. There is, a, there is a ground to how dark it can get in a believer's life. You will always, if nothing else, you will always be caught by Jesus. Your, your career can fail. Jesus will hold you. Your, your, your wife can leave you. Jesus will hold you. You can become humiliated in public. Jesus will hold you. You can be hurt in life. Jesus will hold you. You can fail miserably and have nobody. Everyone abandon you, yet Jesus will be faithful. That's a powerful word because many of us, we believe we can't live without that thing. For me, I was doing some soul work this week and Jesus gave me that word. I will uphold you. Even yet, I will uphold you. And I was like, even yet? Even if, even if uh, finances don't come through, even yet. Even if, even if all things that I'm working towards and dreaming for don't come through, even yet. And it just became this true, beautiful moment because we have to realize when we look at life, regardless of our emotions, because your body at times will betray you. Anxiety can come from your genetics. It can come from circumstances. It can come from things that have happened to you. And it can come from brain chemistry. There are times where your chemistry is off. If you're depressed or anxious, I'm going to say, all right, I'm going to pray for you. Make sure you're reading, staying in the Word, and go see your doctor. Have them run some tests to see how your body's doing. 
because as we get older, our chemicals change. And we need to recognize that we are not just going to pray away everything. That prayer is the core because we are spiritual beings, but we are also physical beings. We have physical bodies that are subject to the fall. And so our bodies at times are going to require the gift of God through medicine at times, in seasons, some through counseling, but never without prayer and never without community. The shift in the language in this passage where it goes from speaking to his true companion, uh, singular, it moves to plural when he says rejoice. This rejoicing is intended to be a shared rejoicing. That's why it's so important to me that, that we learn the practice of seeing God and going, I see God at work. I see God at work because we need to get good at remembering our own story. Rejoice in Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord even when things are bad. Okay, how bad can it get? Even now, Jesus, you were there. Rejoice in the Lord. Okay, Jesus, I remember that, that day when, when I surrendered my heart to you. I said, I'm not going to work for my salvation, my acceptance anymore. The angst of trying to be good enough is killing me. I'm going to surrender and I'm going to allow you, Jesus, and I'm going to trust you that you grab hold of me by me simply saying, Jesus, I need you to rescue me, hold me, keep me, forgive me, make me yours. And in that moment, hope is born. Like no longer are you living in the world alone. The rockets may be going overhead, but you're not standing alone. You will never be alone. So anytime you view or even your anxious thoughts make you fixate or think about circumstances that are difficult and you can't stop looping around the thought or trying to figure out a scenario that you can resolve it for yourself, that's just you working, and Jesus is like, listen, no, no, I am with you. There is a bottom to how bad it can get. I will be with you, upholding you. I am worth joying in. You know the other way that you can translate uh, rejoice? One way is saying rejoice, but the other way is actually, it's like a greeting, like, I'm glad I see you. What if every moment we had moments where we're like, oh crud, this could be it. Things are not going to work out. This job I thought that was great is going to fall apart and it's going to be terrible and it's going to be like that job. And then you go, hold on, wait just one second. Jesus, are you here? Oh, there you are. Oh, I'm glad to see you. What if we counted that as joy? And not just when we feel all joyful and bubbly, but when we actually remember that Jesus is with us that we're not alone. So you see, I think we have this idea, okay, I'm supposed to rejoice always, and joy is supposed to look like everything's cool. No, sometimes joy shows up as calm, as peace, as like, I'm so glad I'm not alone. That's joy. And so there's this supernatural otherworldliness to joy that God really does bring into our life, but it causes us to think through where our focus is. If we are looking to circumstances to bring us savoring soul-level joy, we are going to continue to be disappointed. But if we look to Jesus, the one who is always there, who has done a work for us and will do a work in the future, 
we will have a secure purpose for joy. That in each moment we can find, oh, I'm so glad you're here, Jesus. This is so hard, but I'm so glad you're here. And sometimes that's the tenacious joy that is just mind-blowing to your wayward children. It is, it is confusing and fascinating to your coworkers when life is shaking and you're like, just glad I'm with Jesus. Just glad he's with me. Not only that, Paul says, rejoice always in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. I won't say it again. He's like, I'm going to keep on saying rejoice. I'm going to keep reminding you, rejoice. So he's embodying this. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. So like I said, that word reasonable, there's a, a complexity to it where part of it's like, hey, when, when challenges come, if you really believe that Jesus is your ultimate hope, that even death can't overcome you, that, that circumstances, neither height, death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor any other created thing in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God, that should change the way we live. Let your reasonableness, there's some rationale, our mentality, what are we focusing on that's, that's, that's very key in this, in, this, in this text. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? The Lord is at hand. Now, in, in different generations, folks have, have taken this and gone like, hey, you better not be anxious, because if, you, if you're anxious, you're sinning. And, and watch out, because God, He's watching. He's at hand, right? I know what that hand looks like. Like, is that what the text is saying? No, no, no. The word at hand is actually, it's, it's the same language that, that when another, um, uh, when a person was coming into the city and they're nearby, they're at the gate. That's when they're at hand. It's like Jesus is at the edges of your pain. He's at the edges of your angst. He's at the edges of your dark space. And he is, he is not distant. He is at the gate, ready to move in at any moment. He is near you. There is a, there is a spatial element to this that, that we don't want to believe. Now we're going to be challenged. Man, this circumstance is happening, so therefore God must be punishing you. You must have done something wrong, or whatever it may be. Now, now there may be moments where God does correct us, but primarily God is doing so because he is trying to draw near to you. And so, recognizing that primarily God is there, near, even when we're being corrected, He is never near. God is near to us in the midst of our challenges. And for us to view ourselves spatially isolated from Jesus. Jesus, where are you? Where have you been? Great to be honest, but He's like, I'm right here. I love that fascinating uh, statement that I have no clue who said it, but it just has been so stuck in my brain, this idea that, that when God seems distant in our pain, it's not because He is far away, it's that He is closer to us than even our ability to sense His presence. God is near, which leads us into this element that resilient joy requires not only an orientation around the work of Jesus, but the person of Jesus. And it's like Jesus 
How does your presence in this moment change me? In 2011, uh, things changed in, in Israel for the little children playing on playgrounds. Six years earlier, there was a minister of defense who came up with an off-the-wall idea of a defense system that would literally shoot rockets out of the air as they're on their way towards Israel. And people went, that's a harebrained idea. That'll never work. Six years later, the Iron Dome is, was fully functional. When it first became functional, it had a 75% accuracy rate. Literally, what the Iron Dome is, is it's a collection of 10 to 12 different units with, rock scud with rockets on them. Each rocket costs about 50 grand, no big deal. Uh, they're also connected with a radar system. So whenever there's a rocket that is launched within 43 miles of each one of their units, they automatically switch into an algorithm that focuses and analyzes the trajectory and velocity of each missile. And it plans and makes a analysis of risk. So it takes into consideration, okay, that's gonna hit in this quadrant. Are there people there? Okay, no people there. Is that a strategic building? No. Okay, let it hit the ground. Boom, no big deal. But if there is a populated area or if it is a strategically located target, then mid-air there will be a missile that's launched at an incredible rate and perfectly angled to explode near the other and yet detonate it. Some of you kind of saw this when you were watching different footage reels, um, and you could see almost like a firework effect in the, in, at the nighttime. It's pretty but terrifying. The beautiful reality is, is that changed the lives of every Israeli child. That, that, that the sight of a rocket that was terror to their parents or even their older siblings years before, was now this moment of watching and waiting to see the power of their defender take down that which is terrifying to them. And so the mere presence of this invisible power with knowledge and ability to handle and shield has changed the very essence of what it is to live as a child in Israel in the middle of a tense matchbox of a place. We need to realize, friends, that we don't live in a land of peace. We are strangers and aliens in a world that is controlled by the evil one. And he loves to disturb your peace. He loves to terrify you. He loves to send you into spaces where you forget that you belong to Jesus and that Jesus is with you. He loves to see you squirm and see you act like someone who is without hope. He loves to see you grab at power to try and control situations or to run from situations that, because they make you feel a certain way. But God actually creates us to walk on the water, not stay in the boat. 
John 14 says as much in the story with Peter when Jesus comes out on the, on the water to them, walking on the water, the, 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 the disciples are what? Terrified. Why? Because the, the wind and the waves are crazy and they're superstitious. They thought there was ghosts on the water. They're like, it's a ghost! And she's like, chill out, it's me! Peter's like, if it's really you, watch this, guys. If it's really you, tell me to come out there. <laughs> Jesus, come on out. All of a sudden, I was that kid. I was like, I'll do it! And then everybody's like, do it! And I'm like, ugh. Right? Peter moment. Uh, but Peter jumps, he gets out of the boat, and he steps on the middle of the water. Now, it's crazy enough that Peter's walking on water, but this is not water that's still, Okay? That's one trick, right? To walk on still water or frozen water for some of you. Um, it's another trick to walk on water in the midst of wind and the waves. And some of you guys know that the, the, the unique landscape creates a high, high likelihood. The, the Sea of Galilee, 200 feet deep. So even a light wind can actually cause quite tumultuous sea conditions. Peter's out there and he's walking along doing the thing. And all the disciples are like, oh my gosh, wait for it. <laughs> this is going to be good. And all of a sudden, Peter, what does he do? He, he notices, he breaks eye contact with Jesus, and he starts noticing the wind and the waves, and he begins to sink immediately. Man, craziness. And the words of Jesus are fascinating. I always thought they were kind of harsh. It's like, Peter, and he grabs him. I'm right here. It's fine. I'm near. Why, why did you doubt? He's almost like shocked that Peter doubted. And I'm like, come on, Jesus. Really? But if we're thinking about the reality of who Jesus is, and this, this, this transfers into our world as well, it would be more logical if Peter believed to his core that Jesus was the Son of God, ruler of the wind and the waves, all of those things, for him to be like, this is nothing. You tell me to come, I'm coming. That's logic. If you're living according to capital T, truth. True? So if Jesus is really near you, and he's always with you, no matter what circumstances come to you, logically, there should be a sense of peace, but we're not logical beings, friends. The heart, it can dance in our chest. The, the image or thought or the, 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 the strike of fear that can come or the angst that circumstances can come can make us crumble. But Jesus calls us to say, remember, I'm with you. It's like a father who's teaching his son about the Iron Dome for the first time. It's like, finally ask that question. What's that siren sound, Dad? What's, what's all the fireworks in the sky? Well, let me tell you. Those fireworks, those are rockets. And actually, if they landed here, we would be dead. Really, Dad? Really? Like Grandpa? Yeah. But watch this. See, you don't need to be afraid. 
See, Jesus does that to us. I believe the language that is here, and this is from my mentor, Bill Clem, it's not so much Jesus saying, hey, don't be afraid. It's, you don't need to be afraid. I'm right here. I can't tell you how many times that little image in my mind has been helpful in the last two weeks, let alone this last week. Just going, Jesus, what would it be like for you to say, you don't need to be afraid. And to just be comforted by His presence is what makes the call to be anxious for nothing legitimate. Because God is our carer. God is the one who is for us, with us, our protector, our keeper. That's as far as we're going to go in the text today. Is that all right? I just feel like that's a, a good place for us to pause. Um, any thoughts or questions? Any thoughts or questions? How, this, how do we make this practical? We're almost pausing in an awkward spot. Go ahead. So mentally, I uh, have struggled with anxiety off and on. And, uh, Welcome, not, sister. It's not believing what I feel. Mm. And it's making the choice to trust. And when I can't get there by myself, it's asking for help. Yeah. Because sometimes, and I've said this over and over, sometimes the fear is greater than what I can sense or what I feel. Mm. Let's push into that. I think that's probably the best way for us to end is to push uh, further because the practicality comes within the following path, the verse following. Um, let me read it to you and then we'll, we'll wind down. Uh, thank you, Greg. So 
Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, talk to God about it. Um, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And I know many of you experience that. If you haven't, come talk to me. I'll introduce you to Jesus. He is peace. Um, let your requests be made known to him, uh, which surpasses all understanding. It'll guard your heart in Christ Jesus. Finally, whatever is true. So it's don't meditate on the worries of life. We don't ignore them. Jesus is not calling us to live fake lives. We are legitimately not in control of many circumstances. He simply says, don't, if you're going to display something, display peacefulness to others and display your, your angst to God. And then fixate, not on your worries, but fixate on Jesus and the things that he loves which he goes on and describes whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, or commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and seen in me and practiced these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Your brains are wired to look for certain things. If you train your brain unintentionally to worry, to worry, to worry, when you see this, when you open your bank account, you worry, when you drive by that person's house, worry, when whatever, we can rewire our brains, but it takes the meditation, the focus, the intentional refocusing of ourselves. I feel terrified. Jesus, are you here? I'm so glad you're here bring your perfect peace. Jesus, help me to view this circumstance. Show me, Jesus, where you're at work around me in the midst of this chaos. Help me to meditate on what is true, what is right, what is beautiful, what is worthy of praise, where your kingdom is showing, where the things that I should be encouraged by are around me. Because if you're looking for things to be upset, anxious, frustrated with, you will find them but we are called to be a different people, a people of joy who look for reasons and evidence of God's joyous presence in and around our lives. Amen? Amen. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to do some worship. Is that cool? Thank you, guys. Beautiful time. Jesus, we ask you to help us to be different. I pray that you, among us, would tangibly mean something in the midst of our fear. So Jesus, I pray this week that we would have eyes turned towards areas to rejoice in. Jesus, that we would be celebrating your mercies right alongside grieving and praying for those in the Middle East and the fears of our very real world, Jesus. So I pray, God, that we would have an intentional mind life. That we would be pursuing, seeking out that which is honorable, beautiful, worthy of praise, God. Not because we want to be happy, but because 
You promise us Yourself. You are the God of peace. And we delight in the peace of God now. So in this moment, I'm going to invite you to bring anything that you feel anxious about. It could be, I don't know what I'm going to do for work. It could be a situation with a friend. could be a, something that happened in the past that just brings you anxiousness. Hold that in your hands. God, I ask you to give us a, the imagination to think through what we could do if this wasn't taking from us pulling our attention, weighing on us. God, if your peace that surpasses understanding, circumstances may not change, but you, your presence changes my peace. So as we take a moment before communion, I just want to encourage you to say hello to Jesus in the midst of your angst. Jesus, will you join me in this? Jesus, how are we going to handle this? I encourage you to continue to do that and prepare your heart for communion. The supreme peacemaker. The one who conquered death, sin, the grave. The one who will establish perfect peace one day. As you take the bread and the cup, remember that it is through the violence afflicted against him that you have been given peace. So God, we say thank you for that. We thank you that you didn't shrink back, you didn't run away, you didn't try and control the moment of the cross, you submitted to it, you trusted, you stood fast, you were gentle and peaceful, and you saved us. Let us walk in your path. Oh Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you that you're with us always until the end of the days. If you have a particularly tricky situation or problem with angst, I would love to pray with you. Um, myself and our prayer team will be just to the side over here and we can take you into a private space um, for us to just lay hands on you and invite the peace of God. So if that's, that's you, I would love to, to do that. Um, otherwise, God bless you as you respond to the God of peace through worship and communion.